Well, it was a kind of weather day that draws teenage boys outside. A perfect day, brilliant blue sky, a cool morning that has evolved into a warm afternoon. And uh, these two 18 and 19-year-old boys decided to do just that. It's the kind of day that if you're a teenage boy and you want to be outside and you live near water, you want to be on the water or in the water or somewhere connected to the water. And so it was for these two guys. By the time they decided that they would have an afternoon of sailing, the day was almost over. But uh, towards late afternoon, they put their little sailboat in uh, and, uh, and began to sail up and down the coast Daylight finally gave way to dusk, and darkness set in. It was a beautiful night, not a cloud in the sky. The stars seemed so brilliant and so bright. It was, they were away from, uh, from man-made lights, and it just seemed like the, the sky was just filled with millions of stars. What a glorious time it was. They sailed along the coast for just a little bit more in the darkness, enjoying things so well, and perhaps they were, they were paying too much attention to the sky above them. Perhaps they were, they were not paying attention directly to wh- exactly what they were doing and the direction they were going. Whatever reason, these teenage boys sailed their sailboat right into a sandbar and got stuck. They tried everything they could to get, uh, to get it free. They had exhausted themselves pushing and pulling and doing the things they knew to do. Finally, they decided it was a lost cause. They were not going to be able to free their sailboat. And now it was fairly late at night, and while the warmth of, this, of the afternoon sun was long gone, it was cold, and they decided they had no other choice but to get in the water and swim for the shore with all of their might, and they did just that. They weren't worried about that. They were great swimmers. They, uh, the shore was, the line was not that far away, and together uh, very soon they were able to touch the bottom and walked out of the water onto the edge of the beach soaking wet and really cold and almost in shock for what they had experienced. They walked up the hill to the beach and on the beach and wondered what they would do exactly. They began to walk down the little path beside the sea uh, trying to find help. And they didn't walk too terribly long before they say they saw a, a light in the distance and they walked to that little farmhouse out in the middle of nowhere, knocked on the door. The man came to the, to the door and opened the door about that much, three or four inches. And the boy said, we need help. And the man of the farmer that was uh, in that house looked at these two teenage boys. They were wet. They were disheveled. They were quite a sight. They were kind of shivering. They seemed to be in shock. And he slammed the door and said, no help here. Go away. And the boys weren't expecting that reaction. But they knew from the man's voice they probably should not ask it, knock again. <laughs> That's always a good thing to know, by the way. So they walked back to the path, back out to the road, and began to continue on. Uh, They walked a pretty good distance before they saw another light in a home, made their way up to that little farmhouse, knocked on the door, the same thing, kind of stepping back, not sure of the reaction they they would meet. Man opened the door about that much, looked at them, and they said, Sir, we need some help. And all of a sudden, he opened the door and said, You boys look cold and freezing. Come in here. Warm yourself by the fire. He gave them some blankets to wrap themselves in. He would give them something hot to drink and and a little bit of food to eat and ask them how he could help them. One of the boys just wanted to use the telephone. It was not so far back they didn't have a telephone. If he could just use the telephone, he made a quick call, came back and sat by the fire and said they'll be here shortly. Little did that farmer know who was sitting on his hearth, and little did he know who was coming to get him. 
He would write that it seemed like all of England's royalty showed up at his house at breakneck speed. Finally, he asked who these boys were to discover that one of them was the Prince of Wales, the heir to the throne of England. And the boys got in and were, were carried off. They uh, think the man, and in fact, that many uh, aspects of the royal family would come and think this man, he became kind of a local celebrity there in that little, in that little community. But also the guy that turned him away was, had attention drawn to him. And in fact, they said, how in the world could you have sent the, the future king of England on his way? And he said, man, looking at him, I'd do this in a, in a British accent if I could, but I won't. I have a hard enough time speaking English. He just said, man, he said, they didn't have any appearance of royalty about them. How would I have known? What a great description of the coming of the birth of Christ. There were people that had longed for His coming for centuries. There were religious men that studied these things and tried to predict and, and pled with God and begged with God to send the Christ child. And God told them for hundreds of years what He was going to do. Isaiah told them 700 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Micah even told them where the Christ child was to be born. And even in Isaiah's prophecy, he says, a, chi, a sign is going to be given to you, a child will be born, and he will be the Son of God. Yet the coming of Christ didn't look like anything that had to do with royalty. And the wisest men of their day didn't understand it. And the religious men who spent their career studying these things didn't understand what had happened because he did not fit their perception in their minds of what the Christ child coming would be like, of what the Messiah would be. No one dreamed it would be a child or baby, even though God had said it would. And no one believed that royalty would be born in such a nowhere place, in such a nowhere context, uh, in a stable, in the most unglorified, undignified way possible. But I want to remind you that God is always at work to accomplish His purpose. God is at work in every decision and every, around every corner. God is always at work, and the events of the birth of Christ coming were not just happenstance, not just the victims of circumstance. It was designed by God Himself every step of the way. Caesar Augustus didn't just decide one day, hey, I think it would be good to call a census and tax all these people and figure out how many there were. And, and, and he ordered and decreed that everyone return to their, to their place of their birth. It's no coincidence that Mary showed up just hours before Christ was to be born. It's no coincidence that the, that the room that had lodging for guests was, was full and they were given an open stable to spend the night and to experience the birth of this great child. It was no coincidence that he was laid in a feeding trough and wrapped in a bunch of cloth. None of it happened by chance. But the world missed it because he didn't look like anything that had to do with royalty. Well, our Christmas season, we know the context that we've spent uh, a month or more uh, unless you're a retailer, you've been spending three or four months before, but you've, we've spent a month before decorating and planning and buying and wrapping and doing all those things. It's really easy to miss the Christ of Christmas in the midst of our celebration, but our challenge, even this night, is to recognize what God has done for every one of us. 
We don't know exactly what uh, to make of the uh, significance or the events of Christ's birth, but it's left for us to, to uh, speculate, I guess would be the best way to say. It's not a biblical word, but it's probably accurate. I would make the assumption that Christ was born in an open stable. There were no doors to this stable. It was not a big barn like we sometimes see across America. It was probably a cave hollowed out in the hillside and a little corral outside of it. It was not a place that had a door and security or anything like that. Could it not be that God was saying, I'm sending the Christ child and that everyone can enter into his presence? In fact, the Bible says that in biblical language. Whosoever will may come unto him. You don't have to have the right zip code. You don't have to have a certain size bank account. You don't have to live in a certain way or have any kind of list of qualifications before, before you can approach Christ. There is not a door person at the door taking, uh, looking at his list of who's naughty and nice to see who gets in and who doesn't. There's no doors. Christ says, all may come unto me. In fact, one of the hallmarks of Jesus' message in his ministry was, come unto me all who are weary and burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then I think it's no significant, insignificant thing that the great announcement of the birth of Christ was told to a bunch of shepherds. It's hard for us to grasp the, the, the way shepherds were looked down on in, the, in that time. No adult person in the time of Jesus desired to be a shepherd. In fact, shepherds were people of very poor reputation. They were nomadic by nature. They wandered from place to place. They, were, they had the reputation of being thieves, and they had no accountability system, and shepherds were not considered good guys. In fact, in a Jewish court of law, the testimony of a shepherd did not count, and no one was convicted because of the eyewitness account of a shepherd. And yet, God focused the greatest message that has ever been spoken to a group of, of low-down, looked-down-upon Nothing good about them, group of men, because God saw in them that they were good and they could be good. And could not the great announcement be to us that Christ stands to receive all of us? Whatever past we have, whatever we've done in the past, whatever mistakes we've made, whatever kind of mess we've made, we are not so far away from Christ that He doesn't with open arms say, Come unto me, you are accepted, and I will change and transform your life if you will let me. And so the great message of the Christmas season is Christ says, come, uh, all of us may come to him. Regardless of anything else in life, we may come. And then I think the real message or one of the real messages of inspiration is found before Christ was born in the first chapter of Matthew. As Joseph is receiving word that his fiancée is, uh, is, is pregnant and going to have a child. And as he debates what to do. And by the way, I would imagine everybody he talked to had an opinion. But the angel of the Lord came to him and said, Don't be afraid to take her as your wife because of how this child was conceived. And then, then the angel said to him, She'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The first time in Scripture that I'm aware of that statement is made, God with us. Through the centuries of the Old Testament, through the 400 years between the Old Testament and New Testament time period, there is no prophet of God, there is no messenger of God saying, I am here with you. Like the prophecy to Joseph 
God with us. In the Old Testament, God was there. He was a cloud of the sky. He was a pillar of fire at night. He was the voice in a burning bush. God was there in a hundred million ways. But God, the presence of God was not with him like it was when God came in flesh and appeared to them in the form of this Christ child and brought God down into this world. And folks, we can all say hallelujah today that God is with us. He's not distant and removed. He's not locked away. He's not behind a heavy curtain in the temple where someone is only allowed to go into His presence once a year. He is here. He is real. He is alive. And He is God with us. And throughout the New Testament then, from this point on, that becomes a sustaining power for the people of God through life's trials and tribulations. His name will be called Emmanuel because God is now with us. We sang in the Christmas carols, He became flesh, uh, God in flesh appearing. We read it in the Gospel of John by saying it this way, the Word which stands for, for Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I was trying to explain this to a group of children one time. One, a humbling experience as a, as a speaker. Uh, try to reduce your message down to where children can understand it. It's a pretty humbling experience. It scares me to death, actually. And my little boy sat over in the corner coloring. He never looked at me. He never stopped coloring. He never seemed to be paying attention. But when I tried to explain the incarnation of Christ coming, he finally said without missing a beat, it sounds like God decided to put skin on and live in our world. What an incredible description. God with us, the Word became flesh, and our and history has changed the world from this point on, and we can have access to Him. He is not locked away. He's not hidden. He's accessible, and if you look for Him, you will find Him, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We celebrate the coming of the Christ child today, and we look forward to His return. As I, as I heard it in my East Texas culture, we look forward to his returning as a full-grown man who's large and in charge and ready to take and receive his own. And may the Christ of Christmas be real in your heart and in your life today. And may God coming in the flesh have meaning in our lives as he seeks to help us live life according to the way he would live, to give us freedom, to break the power of sin, to set us on the right path, and to guard and rule our lives until we go home with him. Amen. You shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And everybody ought to say amen to that.